One of my favorite short stories comes to us from the late, great Ray Bradbury. It's called All Summer in a Day, and it takes place on the planet Venus. Now, the story asks us to imagine that the atmosphere of Venus wouldn't at once crush and melt a human being were they to try to live there. Instead, the story imagines that human beings do live on Venus, and the thick cloud cover is one long, perpetual, rainy day. Dark as night, persistent rain. Imagine that. The sun shines only for one hour every seven years in this story. We find ourselves getting to know a young girl named Margot. She moved with her family to Venus from Earth about five years earlier, and, well, she has a memory of what the sun is like, unlike her classmates. They're all far too young to have any memory of the sun. So Margot is an oddity. She writes poetry about what the sun is like, a blooming flower, a shiny penny, fire in the stove. But the other children don't believe her. They bully her and make fun of her wild ideas about what the sun is like. As the day approaches for the sun to shine for that one hour, the children rally around Margot and lock her in a broom closet. The children and adults go outside and there it is. The sky opens up and the sun shines down. The hour flies by. The astonishment and joy and warmth of that moment meant the children forgot about Margot. The teachers forgot about making sure all of the children were accounted for. They run, they play, they skip, they jump, and they revel in the sunlight. And then, one girl catches a raindrop in her hand. The clouds gather and the sun disappears, and it won't return for another seven years. Suddenly, they remember Margot in the closet, and they let her out deeply ashamed. And the story ends there. Now, why on earth would I like such a sad story? The ending really is just that. They were ashamed and let her out of the closet. PBS created a 30-minute film I remember watching in school, and even they hated the ending. They edited in the children apologizing and doing their best to atone with Margot. But this might be a little weird. I like the disappointing ending. It taught me a hard lesson at a very young age. She missed the hour of sunlight because of the cruelty of others. And yet, the sun will return one day. It will return, and not all is lost. Who are you in this story? Are you Margot, locked away and missing the hour of glory? Are you one of the children who locked her up, disbelieving her stories about the sun? Are you one of the teachers that forgot? I believe this story, this parable, offers glimpses of who we are at various points in our lives. I also believe it offers a difficult reminder. The sun, indeed, does shine brightly, gloriously. We forget all of the pretense and ego, all of our faults and cruelty, all of our successes. Whatever it is that we think makes up who we are, all of that melts away in the bright, shining moments of life. But here's the hard truth. The clouds return, the rain falls, and we wait. For many of us, we remember the sunlight and hope for it once more. For others, we're waiting for that first glimpse still. Such is the human condition. Now you might be saying, 
Great. Thanks, Brian. I know some of you are thinking that. Who is this minister with the bitter pill to swallow? Well, I would say it's only bitter if we cannot make peace with the rain. If we cannot cup it in our hands, collect it in barrels, and harness it for our flourishing. Because not all is lost. I offer this story for our graduating seniors today especially. Remember the sunlight and make peace with the rain. But I offer it to all of you as well. For what better illustration of the truths behind the imagery of what Bradbury was telling us than the world we currently inhabit? Here is a world where 100,000 drops of rain are the names of Americans lost forever to COVID-19. Here is a world where drops of rain are tears of grief. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, three black Americans killed, three more names added to a list that for me is absolutely mind-numbing. Ahmaud Arbery was out for a jog. Breonna Taylor was sleeping at home. George Floyd was just being questioned. Those two big headlines. And then we add in everything else that our lives has thrown at us. Challenges, some joys, disappointments, some successes. We want that moment of sunlight to last more than ever, don't we? We want to believe it's coming back tomorrow. Instead, we see news footage of political ineptitude and refrigerated containers to act as extension morgues. We see Minneapolis on fire and hear their names, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. The words of Martin Luther King Jr. speak to us now, a riot is the language of the unheard. Now with all of this, as your minister, I'm supposed to give you some sort of encouraging word or hope. Well, not today. I can try. That's all any of us are doing here. We're trying trying to live our lives, trying to make sense of it all, trying to have an impact, some impact, any impact. I'm reminded that these two big headlines, over 100,000 American deaths to COVID-19 and the continued senseless killing of black Americans, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, say their names and remember. These two headlines point to larger problems, problems for which there is a religious response. A response rooted in Unitarian Universalism, the free faith that this church affirms. And this isn't a response that is from our history, though there are many examples. This isn't a response from our association in Boston, though they have provided words to foster courage. No, 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 no. This is a response for right now, from all of you. Some would ask, what am I to do? I've asked the same thing. But beyond telling you to vote, and you better vote, beyond telling you to support local racial justice initiatives, including our own Partners for Racial Justice, and you're encouraged to do so, it's a wonderful grassroots and inclusive group. Beyond supporting the eighth principle here and implementing it, not just into our congregation, but our hearts and minds, though you are invited to courageously do that beyond writing letters, beyond advocating for candidates that express our values, or in the very least, showing up in a mask, at a distance, in your car, whatever, beyond all of that, I want you to know that this point in our history is a time for grief. And here's what I mean by this. Here's a story of my own reaction to what's going on in the world. For me, when I heard the story of Breonna Taylor, I immediately mixed it up with a similar story. 
that of the shooting of a Tatiana Jefferson in Fort Worth, Texas. When I heard of George Floyd, for a minute there, I knew, before I knew the details, I thought of Ahmaud Arbery. I have become numb. What kind of world do we live in where there are enough black women being shot to death while in their own homes, committing no crimes? What kind of world is it that we can get them mixed up? Do you see what I'm saying here? And what kind of world do we live in where over 100,000 Americans are gone forever, but the one who is supposed to bring us guidance and a way forward brings us complaints about Twitter? Numbness is my go-to when faced with overwhelming tragedy. And I wonder if, like me, you've given yourself permission to grieve, to grieve everything. Because that is the response we need right now. That response will push us away from intellectualizing this pandemic and the severe inequities in our nation and draw us into embodiment and wholeness. We are not separate from the world and all of its happenings. J.R.R. Tolkien once wrote, I will not say do not weep, for not all tears are an evil. By extension, not all grief is an evil, nor is it a waste of time. It can be, just as grief can lead to healing and a new normal when we lose someone we love, it can be the fuel for transformation in our world. So yeah, I am grieving. And I hope you have given yourself permission to grieve as well. I've said these words countless times at memorials and funerals. Grief is hard work. It's paradoxical work. We're, we, at must, we at once must hold on to what we have lost and let go. And it is disorienting work. It ignores what we think is best for ourselves. And it arrives unbidden at the strangest times. And it is also an emotion that never truly leaves us. It shapes a new normal, and we carry on. But there's one thing that remains to be said about grief, especially now. Oftentimes, it is seen as an emotion that makes us passive, that makes us unable to do anything other than dwell. And there is a time for dwelling. There is a time for letting grief move throughout our veins and nothing more. But the reality is that grief alone does not shape the new normal we must inhabit. We do. To be passive is to abdicate our own agency and voice to nothing more than our own fear. This is true with any call to justice, any call to grow in mind and body, any call to grieve and heal. And so yes, our work here right now is grief, to grieve. Grieving live lives lost to a pandemic and lives lost to a festering system of racism and inequity but not passively. My dear colleague, the Reverend Michael Carter, often reminds us that if we're guilty, we're of no use. Why wallow in guilt? In that same vein, why relinquish our agency and voice? There is no guilt in grief. There is, I would say, a deep well of power. The power of memory for who and what was lost. To remember the hour of sunlight and to draw strength from the incessant rain. You know, I think, in, I think in saying that, I finally understand the Christian concept of living water, at least from a UU perspective. Draw 
deep from the rainfall of grief. Arise and meet the moment the memory of sunlight encourages you on. So there it is, grief. That is our work. What makes it religious is that we are not solitary in this grief. We, we join in community. We join in covenant. We set aside our differences, our own agendas, and our egos, and we carry with us this living tradition, this unfolding perpetual now. And we do not abdicate our power and voice. Over 100,000 Americans, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, say their names, remember the sunlight, and make peace with the rain. Harness the rain and the power of your grief. Not all is lost. So in closing, I share with you the words uh, from a statement created by the kids at the High Tech High in California, uh, which were adopted by the Truth and Titus Collective in Battle Creek, Michigan. The kids wrote, We love you. We see you. We know who you are. Your expression of grief is an expression of your wholeness, and that human expression contributes to our collective healing. The ancestors are with you. We are with you. We appreciate you, and we thank the universe for you. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. Ashe.